welcome to CMIO Podcast, a show devoted to educating and informing those who are making healthcare easier for others. Whether you're involved with informatics, analytics, or new technologies that make the lives of our practicing clinicians better, this show is for you. My name is Dr. Mark Weissman, a practicing physician and CMIO, and the host of CMIO Podcast. Today, I am covering the news to know for the week of October 7th. First article comes out of Healthcare IT News, and it's written by Bill Sawicki, October 4th, 2019. How Providence St. Joe's Health boosted its percentage of complete physician profiles. I'll read you a few lines and we'll talk about why this one's important. So the problem with more than 20,000 clinicians in Providence St. Joseph, they needed a way to gain visibility into the network and create a more consistent patient access experience, especially amid their continued merger and acquisition activity. This is a quote from the executive director. At Providence St. Joseph Health, we had more than 15 different databases and directories where provider practice information was managed. This resulted in varying and incomplete data about our providers on our websites and for our contact centers, in addition to producing operational inefficiencies. As a result, patients were challenged to use the Find a Doctor tool previously on the website to find the right doctors for their needs and preferences. Our outsourced patient access contact center was similarly limited in assisting patients and only 28% of patients who called were able to book appointments with us. This was a subpar patient experience for both online and phone scheduling. So they worked with a vendor. I'll skip the vendor's name. It's really not important. There's a bunch of vendors that do this, but the vendor provided a data management platform, provided a central repository for managing all provider data in one place. They eliminated multiple databases and redundant data entry. This platform became the data source for all Providence websites and contact centers. The solution also has self-service analytics to help identify providers with incomplete and or outdated profiles and manage their profiles to completion. So the new platform receives a daily feed from Providence's credentialing medical office databases with the roster of all active providers on medical staff and the data elements managed by credentialing, such as board certifications and education. Within the platform, practice managers or providers themselves can edit specific information such as clinical keywords for procedures or conditions of focus if they are accepting new patients or not and a professional statement and photo. We have a designated leader who regularly reviews the provider match analytics and shares data with practice managers and providers to ensure all profiles are complete, especially for new providers during onboarding. I'm going to tell you that that part is huge. They have a designated leader. Just got had to read that again. Further, the analytics show us the top search inquiries from customers through both the website and patient engagement center and how those searches demand compared to our provider inventory supply. So here's the results. At the start of the implementation of the new platform, they only, 20, only 21% of all 20,000 providers had a complete profile. One year later, 91% of providers had a complete profile. After insourcing and creating the patient engagement center with an emphasis on offering a concierge level of service, the access center now fields more than 500,000 calls per year and has improved appointment conversion rates up to 70%. 
And a quote from that executive director, in order to have a successful access strategy spanning multiple channels, including digital search engine optimization, online scheduling, and call centers, it is critical to have one robust provider directory. Different online versus call center databases will always result in data variation and incompleteness. So, have you uh, had the opportunity to play in the space of master provider management systems? This is a very difficult project and no small task. As a CMIO, you should be involved with this, though I feel that helping people find our providers is part of what we do. So uh, go into your, your systems website and search for an internal medicine doctor to be your PCP. Well, do your hospitalists show up there? Do your intensivists show up when you search for an ambulatory pulmonologist? Are the addresses correct? Are the office hours being kept up to date? At my uh, previous system, we had a patient show up at a doctor's house because the information in the credentialing database had his home address, which then fed into the database that we picked up and displayed on our websites. And uh, the patient didn't make their appointment at the office, showed up at the wrong address. So these systems are difficult to keep up to date and there will be many people who think they are owners of the data and this can get really sticky. Credentialing offices are going to stake their claim. The employed medical groups, they're going to stake a claim. Ins the uh, integrated insurance carriers, they're going to say that they have a claim in this. So now you got to figure out who has the rights to change data. And when they do make a change, well, then who gets notified about that change? So when the medical group decides that Dr. Smith needs to move across town to provide better coverage in that office, who notifies credentialing and the insurance carriers? I think you will find that everyone owns it and therefore nobody owns it. Now imagine this on that massive scale that is Providence St. Joe's. Their results are very impressive. My advice, hey, if you're bored and have nothing else to do, try taking this one on. You will not be bored for long. Really tough stuff. Uh, congratulations to Providence St. Joe's for, for their work in this, and hopefully you have a system in place that works just as well. Most of us, however, probably do not. All right, let's go to another article here. This one, uh, also out of Healthcare IT News, California's Sutter Health reaps rewards from investments in innovation. So I'm going to read a few of the investments that they made. I think it's interesting to highlight some of the things that they're working on. So Sutter Health, a health system in Sacramento, California, has made innovation a part of its mission. It's made investments in many different technologies, research projects, and medical advancements to improve the patient experience and patient outcomes. And so here's one that uh, there was a study that was uh, titled The Evaluation of a Lifestyle Intervention Adapted for Clinical Practice for Diabetes Prevention, otherwise called Elevate DP. And these were researchers who were using electronic health record data to examine the effectiveness of a 12-month lifestyle change program for patients at high risk for diabetes and cardiovascular disease. The program, which encourages weight loss through healthy eating and increased physical activity, um, was designed by uh, the University of Pittsburgh and it was endorsed by a variety of people and organizations. Now, the results, about 25% achieved clinically meaningful weight loss, which they defined as 5% reduction in body weight. Engagement with the program measured by the number of sessions attended 
was correlated with greater weight loss. So interesting use of technology, how they were using their EMR data to actually look at some outcome information related to their weight loss program. So first, I do think that this highlights the absolute lousy rate of success with non-surgical weight loss programs. 75% had no clinically, clinically meaningful weight loss. And a 5% weight loss doesn't exactly rock anyone's world when the surgeons are getting 25 to 50%. But from a technology standpoint, Sure, we should all be using our EMRs to evaluate the success of our weight loss programs. The surgical programs do this. They have to, because most of them, I think all of them, are reporting to a national registry. But the medical programs do not have a national registry that I know about. So if you have a weight loss clinic as part of your system, you probably have a registry for patients that engage with the program and you can track their weight. And you could probably track their outcomes as well, although I don't see that done as commonly. It's probably underreported because the results are going to be lousy for sustained weight loss out of medical programs. But it would be interesting if you have one of these programs and it's a good analytics project to say what happens to these patients? What happens to the ones that do lose weight and what happens to the ones that don't? You probably have all kinds of weight information on these patients as they move through the system in various aspects of your clinics and uh, hospital departments. So. Uh, a great project to take on, again, if you're looking for something to do. All right, next technology they have. So they have created and implemented an advanced EICU patient safety technology. It's the first healthcare organization in the West Coast, the second in the nation to do this. It provides 24-7 access to specially trained doctors and nurses and is accessible from all acute care locations and the systems. So we recognized many years ago that there aren't enough ICU trained doctors living in each community. So from two central hubs in Sacramento and San Francisco, doctors and nurses monitor patients across the health system in intensive care units hundreds of miles away using live interactive video, remote diagnostic tools, and other specialized technologies to instantly assess critical changes in a patient's condition. So my take on this. I was at Sentara when we went live with the program in 2001, and that was the first program in the country. We saw a significant improvement in length of ICU stay and a drop in mortality of about 25%, depending upon which ICU we were talking about. Now, these EICUs are not cheap, but they do appear to be effective. So today, the standard of care, and I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to allow LeapFrog to define the standard of care for this, although you could certainly argue with me about that. But they define it as intensivist coverage present during daytime hours and provide clinical care exclusively in the ICU. And when not present or on site via telemedicine, they can return alerts notification pages at least 95% of the time within five minutes and arrange for a physician or an advanced practice practitioner to reach the ICU patients within five minutes. So LeapFrog's metrics, it seems reasonable to me. There's some data that on-site coverage does better than virtual, but finding actual people to do all this work is going to be nearly impossible because I think there's somewhere around a 40,000 uh, uh, person shortage for critical care intensive work. There's still a surprisingly high number of ICUs that do not meet the standard that I just read off from LeapFrog. About 46% of the hospitals they surveyed are not meeting the standard. And that's probably a low number since, since the systems that are not meeting it are probably not participating in the program. And this is a voluntary reporting program.
So CMIOs, if your system doesn't meet this standard, you might want to have a big impact on mortality in your system and length of ICU stay. You should consider an EICU option. Doesn't mean you have to go out and staff this thing yourself. There are plenty of systems now who are selling their excess capacity and you can buy EICU services from some of the larger health systems that are out there, which may make sense for, for smaller systems rather than trying to, to create this from scratch. Then it's just a matter of having the technology in place and the technology costs have come down significantly, although you're still looking at having cameras and microphones in, in, uh, in the patient rooms and then easy communication, two-way communication back and forth. So. Uh, an interesting problem. I'll do one more of their innovations. They have here, uh, this is about their mobile health innovations, highly trained staff and special equipment to diagnose and treat patients with suspected stroke at the scene of a call. And these are called mobile stroke units and it's an innovative advance in stroke care. So the team responds to emergency 911 calls when a stroke is suspected and using the CT scanner aboard the vehicle, obtain an image of the brain, perform a clinical evaluation, and can begin treating with a clot-busting drug at the scene. Well, I really thought this was interesting because I didn't even know you could fit a CT scanner in an ambulance. And I used to be a paramedic. Uh, where am I gonna sit if you got a CT scanner in there? But anyway, I had to check this out. I went to their webpage and sure enough, it's, it's an ambulance. Now, it's a big ambulance, but it's an ambulance nonetheless. And I did a little further research because I was not familiar this was out there. And there are 20 of them running around in the United States. It started in Europe, came to the USA in 2014 at Memorial Hermann Texas Medical Center in Houston. And my understanding, this is about a million dollar investment uh, per unit. And that came from an article in Imaging Technology News, and that came out uh, this week as well. The goal is to get TPA started within 40 minutes of onset of symptoms. Most are using some form of a telehealth platform to connect the mobile unit to a neuroscience team back at the hospital, which has got to be a lot better than having a neurologist riding around in the back of an ambulance. But it does sound like that's how they're starting this program here, I guess, until they get their telehealth uh, stuff up and going, et cetera. So I'm going to ask the provocative question. Can we afford this? Is this the best use of dollars to improve the health of our populations? So personally, if it was me having the stroke, you bet I would want one of these. But in the United States, we continue to put huge amounts of dollars into cutting edge acute care and not enough into pop health. And I'm a tech-oriented geek and I love this. It's a bold move in stroke care. And that huge expensive resource sits idle most of the time. Many stroke patients do not meet TPA criteria. I think it's around 30% that do meet the criteria. So, hey, as a CMIO, my advice is not to go in and ask your CFO for one of these really cool pieces of high-tech ambulances. Uh, but yeah, the tech sure is cool. It's worth watching and seeing how the, the other 20 out there are doing. All right. This article comes out of the Wall Street Journal and it came out um, a few weeks ago. It's actually September 10th. It came out by Melanie Evans. And it's Google, Amazon, and Microsoft in battle to store health data in the cloud. And I'll read just a little bit here. So Google announced a 10-year deal with the Mayo Clinic. And Providence St. Joseph's said that they're doing a deal with Microsoft. And Cerner is doing a deal with Amazon Web Services. And I'll read you another line here in a bit, but I'm not recommending that CMIOs need to go out and become experts on cloud computing. 
there are CIOs and, and database administrators who do that kind of work. As CMIOs, we probably don't care if it's Amazon Web Services versus IBM uh, versus Microsoft Azure versus Oracle. What we do care about is that the conversation of being on-premises versus cloud is one that CMIOs are involved in. That is a strategic question that I think we really want to be part of. Understand the arguments on both sides. So the article goes on to say why there's some reluctance. Hospital systems have invested heavily in their own data storage for greater control over data security, but it's costing them as it's a growing cost for increased capacity and improved cybersecurity. Some have been reluctant to write off that investment that they made, which has slowed entry into the cloud, as did security concerns in recent years. That's according to some analysts. That is changing as hospitals weigh whether to opt for cloud storage rather than replace aging data centers. Hospitals can't buy computer equipment as cheaply as tech giants, which also have more to invest in cybersecurity. So that's a really good point. I, I think I understand why there's reluctance with the investments having to made in these data centers. But as the EMRs and other platforms are demanding more and more computing power, well, you got to go back in and update your data centers. And at some point, we should have the question, is it time? Because let's cover why we do want data to be in the cloud. First, it's a philosophical question. Do you want the healthcare system to be in the data warehousing business, or are we in the healthcare business? My personal preference is that we are in the healthcare business and we really should not be in data warehousing as a long-term plan. In terms of why we want the cloud from a clinical standpoint, let me just read you a paragraph from an online magazine. It's called Built In. The title is How Healthcare Providers Use Cloud Computing to Cut Costs and Deliver Better Care. And here's the, uh, the paragraph. At Chicago's Rush University Medical Center, technology is as ubiquitous as the doctors, nurses, and patients who fill the corridors. Amid the army of life-saving machines is an invisible force vital to the hospital's operations, cloud computing, is used to run critical applications, call, analyze, and extract important information from piles of unstructured data, including physician and lab notes, those are the typed and handwritten parts, via the natural languaging processing capabilities of machine learning. Radiologist readings are cloud analyzed too. So our on-premises systems are not going to be able to keep up with the computing power needed to take full advantage of machine learning tools. Computed assisted radiology, pathology, dermatology, these things are all a reality today natural language processing to extract the real value out of our notes and not just the pieces that we put into discrete uh, values in the EMR. That's all a reality today. Clinically, our health systems will be held back by not investing in this technology. So the real decision becomes when to do it. And I feel as CMIOs, here's my two cents, we should be advocating for moving to either a hybrid system or fully to the cloud and we're obviously, this is going to be a dis discussion done with the CIO, as well as the chief information security officer, your chief analytics officer, if you have one. So it, it's a very complex discussion to have, but hopefully you are at the table to advocate for the clinical benefits of such a move. Next study comes out of JAMA 
Network Open came out uh, today, actually. An exploration of barriers, facilitators, and suggestions for improving electronic health record inbox related usability, a qualitative analysis. And I'll just read you the conclusions here. The qualitative study found that usability of the EHR inbox is often suboptimal and variable across sites, suggesting lack of shared best practices related to information management. Implementation of optimized design features and workflows will require EHR developers and healthcare organizations to collectively share this responsibility. So I don't know if you've ever been involved with an inbox redesign project. It's a really a fun project. It gets into workflows and stopping what I like to call inbox ping pong, where you and your nurse are just bouncing messages back and forth, trying to see who is actually going to own the work and then do that work, each one trying to play hot potato and not have that work hit them. So more to come in inbox management. This concept of the EHR vendors redesigning the interface is going to be quite an undertaking and not one that I have seen on the hit list of immediate projects for most major vendors. I'll do one more article. This one comes out of Health Data Management by Deanna Manos. Health plans need to better use tech to simplify quality initiatives. I'm sure just from the title, my fellow CMIOs here, you are all jumping for joy over just the title because I'm sure you feel this the same way I do. Value-based care depends on measuring and reporting outcomes, but doing so is causing burnout in physicians. That's the first line in the article. I'll keep going. That additional challenge for physicians come despite widespread efforts to reduce this burden, according to a new survey of 23 health plans conducted by um, Genia, Genea, I may be saying that wrong, sorry, uh, an analytics solutions and services company. Part of the problem lies with the fact that there are more than 500 provider quality measures with little overlap between the measures that the insurances need. And then there's 1,700 measures that are used by the government. It's no surprise that 86% of physicians cite the heightened demand for data reporting to support quality measures as a top driver of physician burnout and view multiple and duplicative quality measures as one of the main barriers to accepting downside risk and moving into value-based care. So I think the doctor is probably going to say too many clicks, too much scrolling, I'm clicking buttons that don't mean anything to me, which is the same thing as saying, that there are these data, that's the data reporting. Obviously, that's why they're doing these clicks. We're asking them to do this or respond to a, a, B, a BPA or some alert because we have some data we need to report out. Um, Genia recommends that payers establish a single home for rules management powered by a robust rules engine. Despite all the technological advances available, too many health plans and even hospitals and physicians are still compiling, tracking, and reporting quality measures manually on spreadsheets, and you know that's true. Um, last paragraph here. So they also recommend establishing thoughtful clinical integration. Integrating a clinical and claims data contributes to closing gaps in care and helps to manage the cost of care. It isn't enough to accurately just identify the gaps in care. 
or have world-class predictive insights, you have to close the gaps. So strategic and ongoing quality improvement can only happen when health plans and their value-based partners share information back and forth. Having clear, concise access to this information at the point of care is the key to success in quality-based care and overall population health management. Yes, yes, yes. I just don't see a move actually to make all these things happen, but wouldn't it be wonderful if we had that data integration and we had consistent measures I suppose we do have some consistent measures with the HEDIS measures, but health plans seem to lump on some extra metrics on top. And there's definitely a burden associated with this. It's burdensome on our build teams that have to build the tools to capture the data and on the analytics teams, which have to get the data out and then and push it towards the insurer to show them that we did our work. CMIOs should be involved with this, in my opinion, and particularly when it comes time to negotiating rates and contracts with the insurer. That is likely when they will listen to you. You have to report on the HEDIS measures. That's not going to be negotiable, but some of the other items probably can be negotiated and maybe you can get the metrics to align with some of your ongoing and existing quality initiatives. And let's wrap there. That will be uh, our show for today, the news to know for the week of October 7th. Thank you for listening to CMIO Podcast. I have been your host, Dr. Mark Weissman, and you can reach out to me on LinkedIn or email me at cmiopodcast.gmail.com or go to the website at cmiopodcast.com. Send me your ideas for shows, guests you'd like to hear from, general feedback, or just to connect, and I look forward to bringing you our next episode.